I'm looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. The title of the message this morning is Principles of Faith Continued. We began at the beginning of this year with an emphasis on faith, and we're going to continue on with that. Principles of Faith Continued. Our theme scripture for the year is found in Jude, and it's verse 20 and 21 from the International Standard Version. It says, it's on your screen, but you, dear friends, must continue to build your most holy, what's that next word? Faith. This is what the Lord is speaking to us at this time about. You must continue to build your most holy faith for your own benefit. Furthermore, continue to pray in the Holy Spirit. Remain in God's love. Isn't that beautiful? Keeping in, remaining in the love of God. It's so important. Remain in God's love as you look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, which brings eternal life. And in line with that scripture, there is the slogan, if I can put it that way, or our theme for 2017, which is building up your most holy faith. Won't you say that with me? Building up your most holy faith. And I do believe that this is a word not from John Rabbit. This is a word from the Lord to us as a body at this time. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so I believe that God is wanting to do something. He's wanting to take you from a certain point in your walk of faith, your level of faith, and he's wanting to move you on. I believe let's get a vision for our faith to be built up. Let's get a vision for growth. Sometimes you need to have a picture in your mind of where the Lord is taking you. It's called a vision for moving forward. And let's believe God, learn to believe God more than we have in the past, that our faith truly would be growing. Let's also to learn to release the power of God through faith. Sometimes we might be a little frustrated saying, Lord, I'd love to see more of the flow of your power in my life. And I believe that that is available to us. And God wants us to step out in faith, and we will see his power revealed in situations around about us. It says in Ephesians 3 verse 20, it says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think according to the power at work in us. We have, as believers, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going out trying to find faith. We have faith. And the thing is to learn to appropriate that faith and release that faith. Now, we're going to look at a number of verses today. Are you ready to look at a number of verses? Okay, we're going to get into the Word. And uh, let's enjoy getting into the Word. How many of you can say that you love the Word of God? Raise a hand if you do. Fantastic. Now, three points that I'd like to share with you as we look at this aspect of principles of faith. Number one, faith is wonderfully pleasing to God. Why don't you say that with me? Faith is wonderfully pleasing to God. Let's go straight into the scripture in Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. 
where it speaks about Enoch and pleasing God and faith. It says there, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. How's that? And was not found because God had taken him. Just a little note here. This is actually quite very interesting because can you imagine that God just said, well, Enoch, he's not going to see death. He is just going to be caught up to be with the Lord. Like some of those movies of beam me up Scotty sort of thing. Next thing, Enoch's gone. Now, can you imagine his family? Here they want to go and look for Enoch and he could be found nowhere, you know? But it says there, for he, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I like that. He was a God pleaser. And I want to say to you that you too can be a God pleaser. Sometimes we think, well, there's only these few special people in the Bible that please God, and maybe there's just a couple of people. I believe that the vast majority of people under the sound of my voice right now, you are God pleasers. You love to please the Lord, and you desire to even please Him all the more. And then it says in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, that's quite a serious verse that must actually hit us a little bit more. <laughs> but without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe, firstly, that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, in terms of this, that phrase, without faith, it is impossible to please God, that is a statement that is in the negative form. I like to take things like that and put it into the positive form. I enjoy doing that. So if we change this to the positive form, it becomes, with faith, we most certainly please God. That's what the Bible's actually saying. When we choose in our lives to believe the Lord, to trust Him in the situations that we are facing, we most certainly Please the Lord. How many of you can say, I want to be a God pleaser? Raise a hand if that's you. Amen. I want to be a God pleaser. And that is lovely. With faith, we most certainly please God. Now, let me tell you a little story of my dad, who went to be with the Lord in 1997. And a whole bunch of years before that, here he was walking on a large church property that the church had built. It was a drive-in and it had all the bumps and all the little speakers, a drive-in theater, uh, and it had the big screen and so on. I remember as a kid, I would go there on my bicycle and ramp over the jumps on the drive-in parking area. So my dad is walking on this property. It's basically barren. There's nothing really there. And there is plans to build an interim tent where they can accommodate the people. But he's walking and he's overlooking a site where there's plans for a 4,000-seater auditorium. There he is. I think it was a Saturday morning, walking and looking over this property. And as he looks over where this auditorium is meant to be built, he's just suddenly overcome by the magnitude of this all and how he feels sort of inadequate. And he says, Lord, this is too big for me. 
And the Lord said to him, Ed, yes, it is too big for you, but it's not too big for me. And by faith, that auditorium was built and stands as as a testimony to uh, the the goodness of the Lord. That facility was built and God was pleased through the process. Now, here's a point that I want to bring out of it is that you must not look at your inadequacies, your shortcomings, your weaknesses, and 50 reasons why God can't use you. It's only natural sometimes to have those thoughts, but what you do when those thoughts come is crucial. Don't look at your inadequacies. Look at God's sufficiency. Look at God's ability. Look at God's capability. I believe that people who have been used by God have begun to stop looking at themselves and their inadequacies, and they've begun to look just at Jesus and what he can do. Because he can do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think according to the power at work in us. And so I want to say to you, don't look at your inadequacies. Somebody might say to you, well, why don't you step out and and launch that company and you know it's been in your heart. Or why don't you get involved in leading that life group and you know that God wants you to do it. But you say, I'm not so good at speaking. I don't know enough of the word of God. Stop looking at your inadequacies and look at your capacity in Christ Jesus. It's through Christ that you can do all things. Moses was an, not Moses, Abraham was an example of this. And here he was, 100 years old, his wife a little younger than him. And he has this promise that God's going to multiply him, give him a son, give him, give him, make him a father of many nations. And the Bible says he did not consider the deadness of his body. <laughs> Neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. But the scripture says he was fully convinced that God could fulfill the promise. Another way of saying fully convinced is he believed. He had the faith that God could fulfill the promise, even though in the natural it looked crazy. looked like this could never happen. And so the bottom line is that faith pleases God. Don't look at your inadequacies, sir, ma'am. That'll stop you from fulfilling the plan of God. C.H. McIntosh says the following. It's on your screen. It says, faith glorifies God exceedingly. Let's go on to that that quotation. There it is. Sorry, yeah. uh, Faith glorifies God exceedingly because it proves that we have more confidence in his eyesight than in our own. I love that phrase. So faith is getting more confident in what God is seeing, in his perspective. Instead of looking at our own situation, won't you say this out aloud after me? My desire is to be a God pleaser. As I believe Him, so I please Him. Amen. So that's number one. Faith is wonderfully pleasing to God. Let's go on to number two. Point number two, Jesus said, only believe. Please say that with me. Jesus said, only believe. Now, those words only believe are found in Scripture, and I pray that as we speak about them just for a few moments now, that they would begin to settle deeper in your heart than you've noticed them before. We're going to look at the story in Mark chapter 5, 
verse 22 to 24, and then we'll jump to 35 to 42. The story is basically about Jairus, whose daughter is at the point of death. She's 12 years old, and he comes to Jesus, says, please come and touch her and heal her. Let's read together. Mark 5, verse 22, and it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, that's Jesus, he fell at his feet. Another translation says that he worshipped Jesus. Now, this was a high-ranking official in the synagogue. It probably made quite a statement to everybody around there that this man falls on his feet and worships Jesus and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Can you see the faith there? So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And straight after this is the story of the woman with the issue of blood that was healed. Even though Jesus was being thronged by all these people, there was a lady that pushed through with the desperate touch of faith and she touched Jesus' garment and she was healed. And then Jesus turns to her and says, woman, your faith has made you well. But then jump to verse 35. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus speaking to the woman with the issue of blood. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Say that phrase with me. Do not be afraid, only believe. Those words, have they ever stood out for you? Let them stand out for you now. Jesus was speaking them. Jump to verse 37 on the next slide. It says, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. I discovered that in those days, they even had professional mourners. It was these people's job to come and Squeeze out a tear, if I can put it that way. They had to mourn, and if you didn't mourn properly, it showed you didn't have respect for the person that was deceased. But anyhow, interesting days. And it says there that uh, those who wept and wailed loudly, when he came in, this is Jesus, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, take note of what Jesus did with them. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying, that's probably going into the room of the child. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talita Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Isn't this beautiful what Jesus does? Immediately the girl arose and walked. Folks, this is a miracle. She was raised from the dead. Even if she had been in a deep coma, most scholars agree that she was actually dead. 
This is a miracle. She was raised up. Can somebody get excited for what the Lord does? The girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. When the power of God comes into an environment, people are excited. There's amazement, there's wonder, there's rejoicing in the work of the Lord. Just one or two little comments about the story is that it was a dramatic miracle. It's actually very dramatic. But it was also a quiet miracle. And it's as though Jesus, perhaps he just prayed quietly for her. He raised her up and then Jesus makes this request. Don't tell anybody. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a hard thing to do. You would probably go straight to Facebook with photos and all. Am I right? <laughs> don't tell anybody. Another thing which is interesting is that it was in the Jewish culture inappropriate to touch a dead body because it meant you became unclean. But Jesus broke with tradition and he was moved with love and compassion and he touched her and he raised her from the dead. And so that's the story. But let me just point out one or two things regarding the story. Can you imagine how it must have been for Jairus when his precious little 12-year-old is almost at the point of death? He must have been deeply in shock and almost bewildered at what is going on. And then Jesus says, yes, I'm going to come to your house. So Jairus is excited. And on the way of going to Jairus' house, a woman has to stop the process. Can you see Jairus? He's thinking, my daughter is about to die. What is this lady doing touching the hem of the garment? And there is an interruption. But let me say to you this. I believe that sometimes interruptions are from God. In our, perhaps, Western mindset, we think an interruption, no, that's crazy, that's bad. I have my to-do list, I have my daily planner, this is what I'm going according to. But sometimes, in interruptions, God can do incredible things. But anyhow, the lady is healed, and then Jesus goes on to this house. But it's interesting that he left some people outside. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples. Nine of them were not included if you were one of the nine, maybe you might have felt a little bit disappointed. So nine of them get left behind, and it's Peter, James, and John that get taken in to see this miracle taking place. I wondered, why Peter, James, and John? And it could be that they just pushed in deeper. I want to tell you, to the degree that you push in deeper, you will see experiences beyond uh, your expectation and things that will amaze you. And this Peter, James, and John are the same three that saw the transfiguration take place in front of their eyes. This is the same three that were with the other disciples in Gethsemane, but nine of them were left a little further behind, and three of them went that extra bit closer. And so I wonder... Could it be that those three, Peter, James, and John, were included into this because maybe their faith had grown a little bit more than the other nine disciples? And so Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, what's this commotion? And then he puts them out of the house. Let me say, what he actually did is he was shutting out doubt. 
In your life, as you're believing God for certain things, sometimes you have to shut out doubt. And you have to take your, your leg and you have to kick against that door. And you say, I'm shutting that door on unbelief. I'm shutting those people out that just want to talk all the wrong things and all the negative reports. And I've got a couple of people, maybe these three people that are going to stand with me. And they're going to believe God for this miracle that I'm going to see. And so here Jesus goes. And he takes the father and the mother. I believe they were full of faith. And he takes Peter, James, and John. It's five of them in the room and himself. And he takes her by the hand and he raises her up. And God does a miracle. Here's the point, folk. Here's the issue. Jairus was in a desperate situation. He was confused and afraid. But Jesus spoke right into that situation. And he said, do not be afraid. Only believe. I want to submit to you that he's not only, he was not only saying those words to them at that occasion, but the Lord of glory is saying these words to you today. Do not be afraid, only believe. Would you allow those words to just find root in your heart? Do not be afraid, only believe. I ask you today, are you in a crisis that you're facing right now? Are you sitting here? There might be many people that are actually in a crisis. You don't know what to do. You don't know what's going on. And maybe the Lord wants to say these very words to you today. Do not be afraid. Only believe. John Gill, the theologian, says the following. But if Christ, who is the author and finisher of faith, of, of faith, says only believe, such power goes along with his words and causes souls to exercise faith in him. That's why we have to remind ourselves that the word is alive. And when you see these words and it says only believe, if you open your heart, then those words come into you and power and faith is released and it causes the human heart to believe. That's why the word of God is so important. If you show me a Christian who is weak, I will show you a Christian who never really bothers to spend any much time in the word at all. But if you show me a Christian that is strong, I tell you, you will discover that they do spend time in the Word of God, and they've looked at passages like this, and it's become alive and real to them. And this story of Jairus' daughter reminds me of a song from many, many years ago. It's the song, Only Believe, Only Believe. How many of you know that song? Raise your hand and date yourself. There we go. You're actually carbon dating yourself now, all right? Now, in terms of this song, I can remember as a little kid hearing my dad and in our church, hearing that song being sung, and I, I always kind of liked it. You know, sometimes when there's, there's something spiritual about a song, it almost catches your heart. And this is how it goes. Only believe, only believe, only things are possible, only believe, only believe, only believe, all things are 
Wow, what a beautiful song. Now, believe it or not, in a faith message, I'm saying believe it or not, but surprisingly, this song was on the charts in America in 1971. Can you believe that? If you tuned into the wireless, by the way, younger people, that is a radio. If you tuned into a wireless back in 71 in America, you would have heard the song and it was released at that stage by Elvis Presley. He released the number one single, Only Believe. Wow, times have changed with the songs that are on nowadays, golly. But anyhow, the song itself was actually written by an evangelist by the name of Paul Rader. He was an influential evangelist in the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. God used him. He was also the leader of the well-known Moody Church in Chicago. And he was the first American pastor to be broadcast on national radio across America. Can you imagine that in the 1920s? Radio is this hot thing. Everybody's listening to it. And here's the opportunity of speaking to the whole of America. It was quite interesting as I just read about this. And then I thought to myself, why was this man used? Could it be because he broke through in believing God in a greater way? I believe it could well be. Because you don't write a song like, only believe, only believe, if God hasn't done something on the inside of you. And I believe that people that begin to break through and experience something regarding this, God uses you in a remarkable way. And by the way, this song was also a favorite in some of the healing crusades of evangelists um, like uh, William Branham and also Smith Wigglesworth. It was a favorite for them because it must have struck a chord with them. And so I say to you today, may the words of Jesus, the words only believe, penetrate your heart today. The Lord says to you, only believe. Why don't you say to the person next to you, only believe. <laughs> say it with conviction, only believe. Point number three, when you pray, believe that you receive. Please say that together with me. When you pray, believe that you receive. Let's go straight into a passage that speaks about this. Mark 11, verse 20 to 24. It says, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Take note of that phrase, but believes. And Jesus was teaching this in the context of a mountain right there, the Mount of Olives. He was teaching in the context of being able to see the Red Sea, not so far, no, sorry, the Dead Sea, not so far from there. And so he has an object lesson, the mountain and the sea, and God's saying, listen, incredible things can be done through them that believe. And Jesus is actually encouraging his disciples that this is the kind of way that you begin to operate as my followers. 
God begins to use you in a wonderful way. Now, this scripture, as it says that when you pray, believe that you receive. Um, let me just see. Did I skip out the last verse there, verse 24? No, I didn't. Or did I? Were you paying attention, people? <laughs> Let's just recap verse 24. It says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. Please say that with me. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, I want to ask you, that last verse, verse 24, does that challenge you? It challenges me. It challenges me to leave out some of the things and thoughts that I used to have when I used to pray. And it encourages me to apply faith to my prayers. The same verse, verse 24, in the Amplified Bible says, For this reason I am telling you, whatever things you ask in prayer, in accordance with God's will, this is the Amplified, believe with confident trust that you have received them and they will be given to you. So, the only prerequisite is that our prayers would be according to God's will. And that's a perfectly fair prerequisite. But here's the formula. Pray God's will plus faith equals answered prayer. Say that with me. Pray God's will plus faith equals answered prayer. Now, would you please say this after me? I can experience answered prayer. It's for me. My faith is rising to a new level in Jesus' name. Now, nudge the person next to you and say, that's for you. That's for you. Now, in terms of praying with belief, believing that we receive, I want to give you an, an example of the opposite to prove a point. Now, it's not, a, it's not often that a pastor gives an example from a pulpit of how to pray with doubt, <laughs> but it proves a point. Let me give it to you. So, imagine here you are. You are praying for rain. You saw the need on the... News that there's a need to pray for rain. So this is you, you're praying for rain. You say, oh Lord, I come before you and I'm believing you to bring us rain. El Nino, El Nino. Yeah, I've seen that on TV lately. That, that could be a bit of a problem. Yeah, El Nino. But, but Lord, you can, you can do it, Lord. You can do it. Seven-year drought. Sure, they always say it's like seven years. We only had four years now, but... No, 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 put that out of my mind. Okay, thank you, Lord. You can do it. Uh, I'm trusting you. Uh, Lord, thank you that you send rain on the just and on the unjust. Global warming. Oh, shucks, global warming. But Donald Trump doesn't seem to think it's happening. I, I don't know anymore. And so, uh, but then you get focused again and you say, Lord, let the dams be filled up. Yes, I see them being filled up. Maybe I should get a borehole. Maybe, and, but you laugh. <laughs> yeah, you're a lacker, ne? But you know what you call that? You call that being double-minded. 
You know what? I think we can all relate to that a little bit. Yeah, you're praying for somebody, Lord, heal them, and you think, yo, but that's a heavy sickness. <laughs> sure. And so that is what it's called double-minded. Now, let me tell you what the scripture says about that prayer. James 1, verse 6 to 8, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded. Sometimes we wonder why prayers aren't answered. The Lord says you're not going to receive anything if you ask like that. Let me ask you a question. Do, when you pray, do you add faith? And I believe that God is stirring this up in us, that more and more, we're going to be doubting less. We're going to be adding faith more as we pray. Can you say amen? Maybe God is wanting to transform your prayer life, that you pray with a new sense of confidence. Prayer is not like making a wish or hoping for something to happen. That is not prayer. Prayer involves confidence in the person, character, and capability of God. You begin to more and more get, get a revelation of who He is. And when you come and you pray, you focus in on who He is, and you are believing as you're praying because your focus is on God. Just a little example as I draw to a close. Mandri's parents, my wife's parents, they farm uh, with table grapes in Australia, in Western Australia. And right about now is their harvest time. It's a very important time for them. But recently, tropical cyclones have been coming in off the coast to threaten the harvest. And that's bad news. And the grapes that they farm with, this is their livelihood. The problem is when you get rain, just at harvest time, the grape berries begin to burst. They, they take in too much water and they burst. And you try to sell those grapes at the market, you get precious little for that. And so here they've been facing this, cyclones have been coming, but we have been praying and they have been praying. And each time the Lord has remarkably protected them from any damage to their crop. It's been about four times now that there's been tropical cyclones that have come, and God has protected them. But listen to this. The most recent incident that took place, there was a major tropical storm coming in and coming in over the land, and they said that they watched the storm. It was fierce and foreboding, and they said that it literally split into two and went around the farm. It was too incredible to see. And they saw it going on this side, and they saw it going on that side, and there was virtually not a drop of water on the ground. And I want to tell you, that's the God that answers prayer. And I believe that prayers of faith were prayed into that situation, so that you can even command things in the natural realm. And so we give the Lord thanks for what He did in that situation. But just one last verse to confirm this very thing. 1 John 5 verse 14. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What a gracious God. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Hallelujah. Amen. Now, please 